You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's my toy Shabbos, this must be Rizcha Daisa. I'm here with Rav Yosef Gavriel Bechofer, Rav Again. Right after Shabbos, I'm Avram Kivalevich. We want to jump into our topic right away. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, we talked about the um, what would it have been had Rav Nota Greenblatt been the Edim by Rav Moshe Feinstein. By the way, parenthetically, I did some more research on that for those of you that are interested. And I found out that it was actually Rav Moshe's wife <laughs> who was pushing uh, for the Shidduch. And again, Rav Moshe himself was sort of not against her. Moshe would have loved it. But Rav Moshe, as we noted, uh, as one of our listeners also said, Rav Moshe was not pushing. But uh, after that, a wealth of questions came in about other what-if scenarios. And of course, Rabbi Bechafer on his blog and, and other places has asked for them. And they've come into us a whole slew of different possibilities for us, for some reason, for Kivalevich and Bechafer to somehow pontificate and speculate about what would have been. Um, I want to give a little introduction. I know, Rabbi Yosef, you're, 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 you're itching to get in on this. But I just want to give a little bit of introduction about this, because this is not a simple thing. What, when you asked me about Rav Nota, it was in my kishkas, because not only did I know enough about the Feinstein family, but of course, Greenblatt's and Rav Nota was my dad, basically. He was, my, he was second to my father, and therefore I knew a lot about what was going on. I didn't have to do the research. I was living in the atmosphere there where I thought my... Hashara was a possibility of what could have been. Um, however, the questions that came into us, for example, had Rev. Aaron Cutler decided to pursue a career in mathematics? I think that was one of the uh, questions that we had, right? Or had um, the three day age, Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, not stayed in Switzerland and he decided to go on uh, to Eretz Israel? Those are very interesting and Geschmack topics, but I didn't think that. Without the proper research, it can be done. It can be done correctly. There is, as you know, and I'll tell everybody here, a, a great a body of work of what we call speculative alternate histories. Uh, and again, it's going to sound a little boring here. I wrote it down a little, made just a little note. It's just what came to my mind uh, right before we started recording. When I was uh, growing up, some of the most popular ones was McKinley Cantor, who was an expert in the Civil War, wrote a history of what had what it would have happened at the South won the Civil War. Uh, Cantor had won a Pulitzer Prize, I believe, for his book Andersonville about one about one of the worst prisons uh, in Virginia, I think it was. So anyway, he knew his he knew his uh, his uvda. Uh, Philip K. Dick, who of course wrote a um, a book that uh, was called The Man in the High Tower about had the the Nazis won. Uh, he was a very big Balkishran. It didn't take much, but he still, there was a lot of historical information out there about the World War II fresh in people's mind. Stephen King, uh, basically stealing from Gerard Way, the comic book uh, uh, writer, actually he was a, a, a <laughs> Gerard Way is actually a, a rock uh, musician who wrote this comic book called Umbrella Academy. It was the first time I've ever seen some fiction that Stephen King ripped off, which is, had Kennedy not been shot, what America would have been had Kennedy uh, not been shot, how the world would have been different. All of these people at least did weeks and weeks and months of research in order for it to sound true. Um, in the Jewish world, we've had, even if, uh, uh, again, I'm mentioning these names, which Rebecca is rolling his eyes about, Philip Roth and Michael Chabon, who wrote 
books in the recent past. Phil Brock. Shabbat is on my good side. Oh, you like Michael Shabbat? He quotes the uh, he quotes the contemporary era. He quotes your book, Michael Shabbat. Acknowledgement to it, yes. And that, the the policeman's whatever the Alaska. The Yiddish. Okay, let's talk about that. The Yiddish Policeman's Union, of yeah. course. One so, of his sources, which for his research was my book. Aha! So you see, okay, so you really, uh, so okay, so let's talk about Michael Shabon for a minute. Michael Shabon wrote a book. I, I think he's a very. It seems he's not a particularly uh, loyal Jew, but uh, he did use my. Oh, book. he's a tremendously left-wing anti the state of Israel. He's a yeah. he's a liberal. I mean, again, he's a very talented writer, um, and but he knows his Yiddishkeit and uh, and uh, at least enough. To be able to write a, well, a, an alternate history of what would have happened had the Jews been saved, at least a decent amount of them, had to do with Harold Ickes's, um, uh possible, I don't know if he actually mentioned it in Congress, to uh, somehow allot a place in Alaska for uh, for refugee Jews, and somehow... It was not six million that were killed, but many of the European uh, Jews were saved and brought to uh, the West, really West, to Alaska. And this was his uh, fictional idea of what it would have been like, uh, what Jewish life would have been there. Of course, they weren't all religious Jews. And he creates this sort of Alaskan frontier, Yiddish shtetl, giant uh, uh, mishmash of material. And it's called, of course, as you mispronounced it, the Yiddish Policeman's Union, which is, um, again, uh, an interesting read, and uh, and he uses Bechoffer to try. That was because he was talking about making Erevin over there as well. Okay, Philip Roth, of course. I think it's a great. I use my books. Yeah, well, you never know. Philip Roth was very uh, mishuga about uh, admitting to anything, uh, even that his books were fiction when they obviously were or weren't. Philip Roth, of course, wrote the book, which I know you are aware of, the plot against America, which is about Roosevelt not winning his. Uh, third term, but actually being supplanted by Charles Lindbergh, who is in a sense uh, uh, gets the uh, America against the Jews in a very uh, subtle and then a horrifying way. All of these stuff that I'm mentioning, of course, is they're great. And for us to do it, uh, to not sound like big idiots, uh, it would have to be within our wheelhouse somewhere. Um, so as you know, um, we're, what's our wheelhouse? Um, I, 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 one of the things that was suggested to us was something I thought we could talk about, and um, which was we know that in 1938, uh, we'll talk about that in more, um, was here in the United States. And he was here because the yeshiva that he helped vivify and change and turn into whether even though I've mentioned before, it was for young students, but it was still a very much a major institution in people's minds. And he himself had become very much a major figure at that time. We'll talk more about that. But Rebbe Chonin was begged by uh, people to say, look, you've, <laughs> I think he had already written Be'ikvus of the Mashiach. I'm not sure if he'd written it or was about to write it, but he knew and the drumbeats were there. Perhaps he'd already written already. I, I'm not sure. And again, right away, the fact finders will, will, will see that if I'm correct or not. But in 1938, I think when he was here in the U.S., he knew what was going on. Everybody knew what was happening. Um, Rebbe Chonin, uh was understood. And Ava uh, became, uh, you know, even though the Branovich Yeshiva was basically disassembling and it was being moved to various places, uh, it was unclear what would happen. He went back to Europe. And of course, there uh, he uh, was led to his, uh, was, was 
brought to his death, Al-Kiddush Hashem, uh, in a magnificent, uh, horrible, a magnificent in terms of the behavior he showed at that time, the way it was described by suppose, eyewitnesses there. Again, I don't, I don't realize, I guess they must have escaped and saw it. But we've all, Yosef, you and I have both heard these stories about Rebbe Hanan's incredible uh, mice of Kiddush Hashem, uh, how he, uh, uh, in such a, dis- almost a dispassionate, incredible way, he, he was able to tell the people along with him. And it had been obviously two weeks of terrible murders that were occurring there in the Kovna. Um... Yeah, I think you should have to read the, the speech. Not everybody's familiar with it. All right. Well, anyway, but the point was, let me just give you the background here. Rebbe Hanan, of course, um, had um, uh, moved the yeshiva um, and, and gone to various uh, locations. He actually wanted, at that point, when he realized that Germany had conquered Lithuania, and the Lithuanians, very similar to some of the Yahoos, well, I don't know if I should say it that way, because I don't know if the Yahoo, well, let's say the Yahoos from last week were not that, shared some similarities uh, to the Lithuanians who got a hold of this Nazi fervor and went around to all the cities to round up the Jews, especially the Bnei Teira. And of course, uh, within the two weeks that Rebbe was killed, many of uh, the Yenis Elim, for example, as you know, was killed at that Goof as well in Kovna, and uh, Rebbe Hanan, uh was not able to get out. Uh, he had um, uh, he there was a chance of him getting a visa, but his son had broken his leg, and because of that, he didn't want to leave without his son. A Kolpan and Rebbe Hanan and others uh, were betrayed uh, by informers. Uh, the the Lithuanian hooligans took them um, and delivered them uh, to the uh, to that terrible seventh fort. Uh, where they were killed. I'm just going to read a little bit here about, and I'll read it um, as we know. Again, supposedly it was either on the way to the fort or in the fort itself. What I've read about the fort itself was that it was a terribly disgusting place and that that they did not let the men uh, inside at all. They had to stay outside during the day in the terrible heat. And this was, of course, in uh, Tammuz of Tavshin Tavshin Aleph. The ninth fort. What? The ninth fort. The, yeah, yeah, so they say, was, they say he said it was the ninth fort. I've read it's the seventh. Yeah, the, the ninth fort. Okay. So anyway, this is Rebel Conan uh, talking. Um, and again, you know, in Himmel Mistoma, Haltmanuns from Tzadikim. This is what he said to He says that they, in Shemaim, they hold us for Tzadikim. Because we're about to die and Machaper with our bodies. Okay, he said it without any emotion. I have the emotion in my in my eyes when I'm reading it, so it's hard for me, but I'll try to adopt the tone, supposedly. Okay, he said, he supposedly he said it without any emotion. And he didn't even say goodbye to his son, supposedly. I did a Victor Miller a couple of weeks ago, and I have to say that I'm, I guess I'm doing Revol Khanan, but... When I was a kid, I just want to say parenthetically, people are going to say, Kip Levitch, stop talking. But when I was a kid and I started writing up stuff and I started learning really strong by myself in Memphis and my attic, um, my brother had left a picture of a rabbi and and it stared at me constantly. And that was Rebel Hanan. <laughs> Rebel Hanan was looking at, at me all the time. And at first I didn't know who it was. And then when I, I called my brother up, I said, who, who is that exactly? Oh, that's Rebbe Khanan Wasserman. So Rebbe Khanan actually, with his stern gaze, was looking out on me when I was starting to really, I think, you know, try to learn a lot and everything. And I was, he scared me. 
he believe me, he scared me with that look. Anyway, so I'm going to try to adopt this, this the tone he had. He said, We have to do chuba right now. The tzait is cult. The ninth fort is not. The ninth fort is near. We're going to be a better carbon because we're going to do tshuva. And this way we're going to save our American brothers and sisters, seemingly because perhaps Hitler would move on or who knows, start the war even further and get to America. Of course, this is before Pearl Harbor even. So, um, so nobody should have any sort of negative thoughts. In other words, since they were becoming carbonos, so any sort of bad thought would be would ruin the carbon. Now he meant over here a machshava that somehow God is not correct, God is not just, somehow saying it's not fair that we should be dying. We're about to fulfill the great mitzvah. This fire that's going to consume us and kill our bodies is this fire of This will bring back the Jewish people. And that's supposedly, and with those words or something like that, is how he took his uh, Talmidim uh, with him. Him and his Talmidim were were then shot to death. Um, so those words, yes. so so let, this is, both of us know this. We've heard this growing up our whole lives. The fan question was, what happens if Rav Hanan doesn't die in Kiddush Hashem there, stays in America? What happens then? Would that have changed things? Obviously, we would have had Rav Hanan alive more than from till 1941. We see, who knows? But that's what we would think. How would America have been different had Rav Hanan stayed there? So that was the question. I spoke for the last 10 minutes. It's your turn. What do you think? I have my own ideas. Let's hear what you think. The question is how Rav Hanan would have been changed by the Holocaust. It's not, it's not clear to me, but we know that Rav Hanan, before the Holocaust, was the biggest kanoi in, uh, in the Lithuanian yeshiva world. Uh, we know that he was uh, the infamous letter, which he wrote, that it would be better to be killed than to have to go than to go to HDC or to YU. Uh, okay, he doesn't actually say that, but you're right. He says, "What's the difference?" Okay, I, I I looked this up before we started. He says, "What?" He says, "You're you're switching one sakana for another sakana." You're right, but he doesn't say it in that strong way. It's better to die than to go to HDC. Okay, that's that. Okay. You you me and you are happy about that because of the way we were mistreated by HDC. So I know that you have a even though you don't you disagree with Ravokhan and you have specific glee about that. I'm sure. Uh, but he is, also talks about why you too. But that's really good. I'll go to the point. Both. Yeah. yeah, I just mentioned why you. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, so the um, the other issue is that, of course, he was uh, he wrote the, the infamous tract uh, uh, in Kovetz which uh, obviously was uh, the, uh, the very very canonistic and very uh, extreme. And, uh, and why don't you tell everybody what the main uh, his main target was? Because it's similar to someone else that we vilified somewhat on this program uh, when we talk about Sakharov. As far as I. As far as I can tell, his main targets were religious Zionists. Right. And he, uh, he, he also 
provided Rav Cook. So it must have been earlier. It must have been before 1935, they wrote it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh-huh. So, so all right, but it, but it's basically about this idea not to not to get all excited that we should go to Eretz Yisrael and we should see this new state that was on the horizon as 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 a time of Mashiach. That's really what he was what he was saying, right? Correct. So go so, ahead. Um, so I, I, it's I I think it's possible, although it's unlikely, that just as the uh, the Holocaust made uh, a different person about the Ema of the Ema Banim Smecha and considering the era of his pre-Holocaust positions. It's possible Rabbi Hanan, as he was, uh, you know, about to go to the, uh, to the ninth fort, he would, he was realizing that perhaps his positions earlier in life were, um, not of the, um, not necessarily the correct ones. So it's hard to know. Uh, had Rebbe Khan come to America the way he was uh, pri- prior to the Holocaust. So I think that we would have seen a much more quick uh, development of an, of the extremism, which has in America taken hold only within the last 25 to 30 years. Uh, I think it would have taken place already in the 40s and 50s because of his dominating personality, his great stature, literally and uh, figuratively, uh, would have uh, had the um, that kind of impact upon the Litvish Oilam in America. In other words, as, as, as many of our listeners know, but some probably don't, even in the um, in, in, in the in the mid twenties and the thirties, as his fame started to grow, and of course he wasn't really looking for fame, he was writing Maimarim, not only the Meshicha, but Kavitz Maimarim and others, and he was a big speaker at the uh, the conventions for the Aguda, and he was one of the people that I think crystallized the idea of Das Taira, um, and and even the famous letter that I think one of your heroes, Rav Dessler, wrote. Uh, mentions Rav Hanan as a representative of Das Taira and how you can't be chaylik on Das Taira. So I, I think that Rav Hanan, you're correct, uh, had already a great prominence in the world. Um, other than, and of course, he was not a rov anywhere. He is he had never been a rov in any in any position. Um, but we know he didn't give, give the highest share Baravich. Well, he hired good people, Rafshleima Hyman and others. He What? Who? David, with David Rappaport. The Rappaport. To make their stuff. He 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 had a sense of kuda hire. He had a sense of uh, of, 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 of 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 tremendous uh Um and so you think and I'm sort of in agreement with you here, although I want to add a couple little knaches here. You think that he would have been he would have basically eclipsed like let's let's assume in our f- alternate reality, Rav Aaron makes it, and Rav Meisha uh, makes it. Was here uh, just a year earlier, in 1937. Rav is here. Despite the, the the brilliance of Rav Meisha, Rav Elchanan would be the the would have actually put them aside, and let's say uh, Rav Hankin or Rav Yenison Steif or any of the other uh, you know important figures. Even you know we'll talk about the Satmarov. Uh, as well, I don't know, of course, they use in the Chassidish Shevelt, but Rav Hanan would have been a, a steamroller because of his reputation and because of uh, his passion and eloquence. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, uh, yes, again, I think he was a dominating personality, which uh, more so than probably Rav Aaron would have been. I think he would have, Rav Aaron was, I don't know if Rav Aaron was his junior, I think he was, right? Rav Aaron was not as old as Rav Hanan. 
I don't think so. Rebbe Chanan was born 1875. He wasn't, he would have been, again, remember, had he come to America at that time, he would have been, you know, in his 60s, he was in mid-60s already, assuming, assuming that if we give Rebbe Chanan again in our alternate reality, let's give him 20 years of life, let's give him another 20 years from America. So he, so he would have been, let's say he would have been alive from 1938 here, he would have gotten here till 1958 or 1960, uh, Rebbe would have been a, a power and a presence. So you, it would have, it would have, would it have uh, blunted Rebbe Moshe's influence? Would it have, you sure. think? Also, Rebbe Re- would never have learned English. Okay, so here I got you because here there's, I, I did my research before today and Rebbe despite his external, what his external pub was, was actually was actually, if not proficient, very knowledgeable in a number of languages, which he did not reveal to people. But he was knowledgeable and he read and spoke a number of languages. So I think, you know, um, it's possible that he would have had this external sense of English, but I think he would have definitely, uh, definitely he would have been aware of it in order to read what was going on. But you're correct. He, um, you know, he wasn't about the Mada, although he had uh, quite a bit, supposedly, according to one of his biographers in the Sefer, Toldus Hanche Shem, printed in 1950. You can look that up, page 40 or 41. <laughs> you could look it up there, my friends. So anyway, but yeah, yeah, you're right. He probably, so therefore the idea of Shiurim in English and things like that would probably never have, uh, although it didn't really start really until the... I, again, assuming it wouldn't have changed, he would be a tremendous misnagate to Rabbi Ruderman and to to uh, Kutner and to Rabbi Shraga Feivel about he would try to eradicate college being permitted in American issues. Aha, uh-huh. right, and 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 you can see, and again that infamous letter, you know, he does call it a sakonos. He says the ruach Hofshius, that why you and um, and as HTC is a sakana clearly. Uh, any type of accommodation. So he would have he would have been a hardliner about American boys um, going to places where college was an option, and that might have done what? Would that have suppressed the Bahram who were going? Would that have actually caused a pull, pushback where we would have less benetayra then? Really, right? I think it would have caused quite possibly. Yes, I think people would have to make a choice, and some of them would make the choice to leave yeshiva. Yes. Or, or they wouldn't even have had that option. Look, Kivalevich went to Nerius Row. No, he might even have done away with Limude Hall in high school, for all we know. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say, one of the reasons I went to Nerius Row is because all the kids, oh, that's the place that has a high school. That's the place where eventually you can go to college. So that whole mo- that whole mentality, the whole out-of-town way to dangle in front of the out-of-town boys, the possibility, you're saying it, it might have been cut off uh, at the uh, at the throat by Revol Khanan. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's another issue, which is that um, the uh, I, you know I can't wait. I can't be as boisterous as I usually be in this program because he never smiled. He, <laughs> uh, when I speak of him, I feel more dour than I would feel speaking with anybody else. He was a quintessential litfuck in that that respect. Well, listen. He, uh, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about what your. I'll tell you what I heard from my Rebbe, Rav Moshe Heinemann. And it's and, and and when I when I heard him say this to me, tell this to me, he said it to me when I was in eleventh grade and I was in the year. 
And he said that, I don't want to imitate him, but I'll imitate him a little bit anyway. He said, um, he said, is one of the greatest for him. It's much better than the Kavachira, much better. It's got the incredible lumbus, incredible, incredible lumbus in there in the Kavachira. Because I was using a lot of the Kavachira. I mean, we all did. In fact, uh, Rev Weinberg, I, I, I learned with a, a Talmud of Rev Weinberg um, at Night Seder at one time. And he said to me, my Rebbe said that that you have to be able to slug up every shtickle in the Kaivitz Shior. You have to be able to learn it and be able to ask Sefer Care to say something. So um, Rav Heinemann told me that he felt that the the quality of the Kaivitz Haaris was something super special. It was something uh, very... I had, a, I had a Rebbe once said, today, in, in today's times, if you want to become a Rosh Hashiva, then you should. You have to. Then all you have to do is learn the Kavitzaris. If you want to become a God Ador, you should also learn Rebbe Chanan Ksuvis. Rebbe Chanan's Kavitzaris Ksuvis. Yeah. So, so both of our Rebbeim agree that the, that his what he contributed was something special. Although I have to say, you know, when because I, I next week we're going to talk about one of your heroes, Rebbe Shimon Shkup. Um, when I contrast them, you know, Rebbe Chanan learned by Rav Shimon and Tells. And they both, I mentioned this on one of my podcasts last week, they both wrote books in the 1920s that were unique. Now, Rav Hanan's book was small, but unique, the Divrei Seifrim. And Rav Shimon wrote in the same year or the year after the Shari Yosher, and they dealt with similar topics about the Kayach of, of, of Teirush HaBalpeh and stuff like this, and the, the Rabbonan, and the, the Shar Aleph of the Shari Yosher is very similar in some ways, has some similarities. And they, they were dealing with what we call beyond the daf issues. Um, and Rav Hanan uh, learned by Rav Shimon, Rav Shimon was just a Magid Shir, I guess, a Rebbe entails, but they were very, very different in, 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 in the sense that um, you know, Rav Hanan was not into being Meirich or being Masber, anything in a sort of a philosophical way or any sort of, like, you know, Hezber Menachutz. He, he, his language is not elegant at all, right? I mean, the Kavit Shurm is one of the most meat and potatoes, right? It doesn't even have the mystery of 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 Rav Chaim, right? Rav Chaim's svarim, like, what did he mean by that line there? Then you could sort of Rav Chanan is like, I think he was true to his motif, which was you don't say anything ibrik, right? But you also um, say exactly as much as you need to say. Um, well, he was. Uh, it, uh, it's a sefer which is written for yeshiva katana, and it shows. It's <laughs> written. So, Branovich was not a yeshiva gedayla. It was yeshiva okay. Katana. So it went, went up. I think uh, didn't have a kibbutz to be precise. So then it went up to age eighteen, maybe twenty. But so therefore, the the what he the Rebbe Hanan is ideal for teaching a younger shear, not a, not a, not uh, a shir right. Way. So so again, I I go back with my Rebbe said the kavitzaris part of him, the part that was iluyish, the part where you saw you know his brilliance uh, it, it, there. Again, in terms of where he would have been. Um, in terms of the the derech halim, would would it, would it have changed anything? You think the fact that he so, he was so meat and potatoes in his learning? Do you think again it wasn't as uh, had he lived? Would that have in a way stopped some of the philosophic um, or brilliant aspect of of learning that that developed from Rav Shimon's Talmidim or from Talmidim of Rav Yosheber? 
or do you think he just would have been a rabbi who would have the yeshivas would have been the same in terms of their their the quality of their learning? Well, do you think he would have changed the derech but I'm saying if he would have written more, again, had he lived, there would have been more, there would have been the Torah of Revolchanan. Revolchanan would have been looked at as not just making pronouncements against college. He also, wouldn't there have been some influence on on, on the Derech of Limud? Or he, I mean, Lechaira, right? People would have, I mean, I found something interesting in doing the research for this episode. I always knew when I was growing up, and, and my brother, when he said it to me, you know, that's Rav Hanan on the wall. He was the Talmud Muvik of the Chofetz Chaim. So I said to my brother, why didn't you get me, why can't, why didn't you get a picture of the Chofetz Chaim then? <laughs> but anyway, but I had Rav Hanan on the wall. Doing research today, and again, you'll say, Kivlevich, you should have known this from before. He only met the Chofetz Chaim, really, when he was in his 30s, when he, when he was in the Kachim Kail and Raden. Uh, he, you know, he 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 basically, you know, developed that relationship just for a couple of years when he was learning there, and then of course the issues of the war of World War One brought them together again, and the Chavetz Chaim trusted him and gave him the yeshiva to take care of. Um, but it's interesting how his his connection to Chavetz Chaim was late. Even his connection to Rav Chaim, that's also very well known that he was a Talmud Rav Chaim Brisker, was also when he was. Uh, for a number of years, when he was a Rosh Masifta in Brisk, and Rav Chaim was the Rav of the city still, and uh, and then he was with them a little bit beforehand as well, but as an adult. What's interesting, of course, also, is that these relationships, in many ways, is what, he's the Talmud of Rav Chaim. He's the Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim. I think Rav Chaim, by the way, was the one who was coined the term that the Chafetz Chaim's uh, Tzidkis uh, was Miskase his goodness. I think that was Rochanan is the one who came up with that uh, idea, which of course everybody repeats it now. My point, I think, is is that it's not just his dominating personality and and and, and his, his stolzkeit. He also had, in many ways, the the approbation of the Chafetz Chaim. He could claim connection to Rav Chaim, and he was also, of course, a brother-in-law of the Rav Chaim Eizer, Chaim Eizer's second wife. Was his was Rav Hanan Wasserman's wife's sister, and he was very close with him as well. So in a way, here in America, it wasn't it wasn't just he he would you know thump his chest. He could have said, "All the Gedolei of Europe, everything that's built on, I know them." In other words, part of what made what allowed Rav Yosheber. I'll finish the point here. You know, Rav Yosheber Salvechik said that grandfather started the revolution, I finished it. Right? You know that. Now you're going to say that. Yes, that's what he said. I finished the revolution. That's kind of arrogant. Do you believe he said that? I'm sure he said it. I am sure he said it. Come on. <laughs> Grandfather started, I'm finishing it, or I finished that. That was the thing. That was that was the development. So that idea of brisk and the idea of, of, of how it developed and the fact that maybe, maybe, oh, if you go to YU, maybe that's where you're really going to get real, the best of the briskers, you know, the... Who was it who went to who was it who went to hear Shiura Maltuski, right? Uh did Ravtuski go or he just just I don't know how he knows. Yeah, the Masbir, yeah. The Masbir. Didn't he go here sheared by Ravir Shabir? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't, can't get firmer than 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 Maltuski, right? Ravaltuski was a was was a Mamisha Nizar Prutu Khalvachamur. So people knew that if you want really the great brisk stuff, could Ravalchanan have again I speak for Brisk. I, I was I was with Rav Chaim. I spoke. I was the one who was the Chavetz Chaim was noon to. I think those uh, Rav Chaim Eiser was my brother-in-law. All those things I think spoke for him 
in a way that, you know, would have put everybody in awe of him. And I guess I'm just repeating what you're saying, but I think that that would have done a lot as well. Um, it's a, it, 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 so let's talk about it in a way it could have been better, though. I mean, your alternate history is a shtickle of dystopia with Revel Hanan, right? Because it's basically saying it would have crushed the idea of, of a certain braid kite. There would have been a lot of American kids. Maybe Kivilevich and Bechoffer also wouldn't have gone to yeshiva because people, our parents would have said, yeshivas, they're right-wing crazy. We're not going to send our kids there, right? That could have happened, as you say. So can 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 we salvage something here? Can we say something? There were some positive things that Rav Hanan, uh, you know, had, had been zeicha. Could, could could any could there be a positive aspect here? Uh, if I recall correctly, the Kovetz um, Mamorim uh, that 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 the the, the Hamuna was stated in in Baltimore to I think a young Israel, if I'm not correct, not mistaken, that type of community which is very much out of what we would think would be out of character with Rebbe Hanan. So it's possible that uh, he would have tried to reach out to uh, the more uh, modern crowd from safe above his perch and the new created, newly created uh, um, Baranovich and had tried to have a positive impact on uh, the more modern Hebra. Uh, that Mimer itself is in and of itself, Omer Darshani, the fact that Rabbi Hanan wrote this Mimer, which has become the basis of everybody's uh, Yamuna 101. And, oh, and, uh, and what, refresh me and our listeners. On the, one says, you know, he has the famous Mimer where he says, how come all the philosophers were not able to figure out the Dover Pashit that there was a God, and how could he kill B'nai Noach if they don't accept there's a God, even they're, you know, 13 years old, the great philosophers that made this mistake. And the whole notion of muskarisha, that uh, there is uh, the the it's impossible to explain the intricacies of creation without a creator, and that this is um, that this is extremely basic. And no losus is help prevents people from actually seeing the light. And uh, this mimer in various different permutations is really the basis of today's. Um, uh, again, um, Q of 101 attitude towards Yiddishkeit and towards what Emuna is and why people don't admit to Emuna. And um, it's the first article in the Maimar, it's in the Maimar, uh, I think Maimar it's called Maimar in the back of the Kovitz Aros. And uh, this article, I think, uh, again, as I say, it's tremendous impact. Uh, I think way beyond anything Rabbi Hanan wrote in. Uh, with the exception maybe of Migo Kochatainer Neamonus, perhaps beyond the, the capacity. What? Inksuvis. Oh, yeah, that may be the most impactful thing Rebbe Khanra has. That's the one the Bechopper, the one the Bechopper remembers, I hear. Yeah. Okay. Which one do you remember, Big Shot? <laughs> well, I've just gone through, I just gave a sheer in different Seifrim. So um, I can't say that I, def, I remember them, but um, but uh, I, I, I can tell you that. <laughs> I definitely, my, here's my Kaivet Shiurim. Here, you see? Look how it's falling apart, okay? So I'm deeply impressed, but nevertheless. I used it, okay? I used it. and, uh, so, and so, uh, but, I, but I'm not the one saying this is the best thing he ever wrote, okay? You're right. I said most impactful. The most impactful, okay. Yes. So the, uh, I think Miko Kachtain and Amonis is the biggest thing Rebel Khan's impact. Um, the Dibri Soifim has a, a significance, obviously, too. I think so, 100%. But, uh, I think it's... Not the same impact as Migo Kochatay and Amonis. 
And uh, the um, what the point is that the Mimer Lagado, that Mimer is probably much more influential. Whether some people are aware of it, some people are not aware of it. Um, that's where, where their material comes from there. But there was that again under that the he says there. I remember them from when um, you know, I hated my eighth grade Rebbe and he hated me. But I remember. How could anybody hate you? How could anybody summon up that feeling about such a ish? Your How could anybody even have that type of? How could anybody have strong feelings about you? My sixth grade English teacher, Mrs. Uh, I forget which Mrs. Lieber, I think it was. She wrote on my person, on my uh, report card. Uh, Robert, Robert's great potential is hindered by his personality problems. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, uh, and I, I thought only Revel Conan was a novi about about yeah. about Corbin yeah. Europe. Yeah, seemingly we're, your sixth grade teacher needs yeah. to be added to one yes. of the great oracles of the future. Yeah. Yes, well, again, who knows? Rebel Khan, in this, it's kind of paradoxical way. Rebel Khan may have had actually an impact on the uh, general level of Emuna and uh, Avodah Hashem of a broader. Segment of and I'll tell you why. And I, I'm, I'm where, convinced. Where did you go to high school? I went one year in Tiv Meir in Yushalayim, which is the first year I heard of Rebbe Khanan. Uh-huh. Remember the Rebbe ninth grade saying uh, that in Hebrew, obviously, that even though we would pronounce his name uh, Rabbi El Khanan, oh, uh-huh. that's not the way he's known. He's known as Rebbe Khanan. Uh-huh. And that's his thing, which made an impression upon me. So I, I remember that very distinctly. So and then I went to Chafetz Chaim for two years in, in, uh, in the Queens. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you because I think most Bachrim in a yeshiva like Philly uh, and uh, are getting uh, uh, who are Balikushim at least, which is most of Philly, uh, are getting Rebbe Chaim in eleventh grade. They can get a Rebbe Chaim in eleventh grade, and in other places maybe twelfth, first twelfth grade, first year base Medrash. I don't know. Again, Rebbe Chaim might have come here and said, "Okay, now here I'm going to show my true godless." I'm going to give the most brilliant sheer clothing in America. Rebbe will pay by comparison. Be your certainly will compare by comparison. Uh, you know the famous story that Rebbe refused to. You, I, I, I know you know this one. There's an opinion for the for the um, audience, which is Rebbe um, was one of the Kanoim who refused to visit Yeshiva Sabbatikah when he came to visit America. He wouldn't be able to go to the sheer, uh, unlike uh, almost all the other Kanoim. And but so they said Rebbe Zimmerman. To talk to him and learning to try and convince him to come. So he sent back a message. I'm still not coming, but I'm very impressed by the Zimmerman boy. So, um, <laughs> I hear. So the. There's no question about it. We're not being Pegea Kiyus there. Uh, Oh, I'm um, so of course. Look, anybody, you know what the Rav Ruderman used to say? If Aislus is the Gresta Yetzahara, I ying the Balkishan. I ying the Balkishan is the Gresta Yetzahara. In other words, that's when you're into learning, you always like seeing someone young who's bright, who can, you can do Masavamatam. And that, the, that gets the endorphins going, even if the coldest Litvak, I would say. I only know two, two, two Rebbe Chaim Zerman stories. The other one ties also into this, which is that. Uh, Many years later, I guess, the um, Chaim Zimmerman gave a shear in Nerdy Swell. And he said to Rebbe Lidham afterwards, Do you like it? She said, It's very nice. So he said, Yeah, Shkop, Trap, and Wasserman like the two. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great line, Shkop, Trap, and Wasserman. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you that I heard this by um, 
by uh, uh, I, the Kloisenberger. The Kloisenberger would say a similar thing. Well, he used those three things together. Maybe everybody said Schlupp, Trump, and Wasserman. But yeah. supposedly, uh, you know, the Kloisenberger, um, uh, every Hanukkah, he answered the Beis of Kasha on uh, why do we have eight days of Hanukkah when the first day they had enough for one day. So basically it gives three answers and there's a hundred different thousand other answers. So supposedly every single night of Hanukkah, whenever they had the, whatever you want to call it, the Asifa, the Tish, the Fabrengen, that the Kloisenberger never had, he answered that kasha. He never answered the kasha uh, the same way. <laughs> every single, so there's probably, you, know, you multiply that, you'll see how many answers the Kloisenberger came up with. And... Um, uh, the uh, the Bnei Torah used to come. The Yeshivaite used to come to hear it. The people that even were Chassidish would come, and they would get the chance to speak to the Kloisenberger. So Kloisenberger would say afterwards to his Gaboyim to his, you know, he says, he says, Ich will reden mit Ramban Rash Ben Ritva, or Bzei Plois will alles was sei sagen ist Schkop, Trop und Wasserman. Right. So in other words, yeah, he wants to talk Rishayim with them, right? But but them and and again, you see that the influence is there. So. Uh, with uh, w- this is a little setup for next week when we have uh, a Rav Shimon, and that's going to be next week's uh, a little bit of alternate possibilities. Had Rav Shimon decided to stay in America in 1928, I think it was. Uh, he stayed there and he was the no, Rav Shimon. No, no. uh, 1928, I saw on Wikipedia, maybe I'm wrong. 28 to 29. That's what I said. So had he decided afterwards, instead of going back to Europe, had he decided that he would have, and he lived, of course, he died a couple of, uh, a little bit, uh, about a year before of Elchanan. I think he died in 1940, I think, 39 or 40. So the question is, had he decided uh, to stay and been in America in those years? Uh, well, well, perhaps that would have perhaps changed. That's another one of our, that's for next week, as we talk about Rav Shimon and that alternate possibilities. All right, Rabbi Yosef, we got you going finally at the end. Take care, my friends, and enjoy, if you will, uh, some peace and quiet, hopefully, uh, this week. Uh, and we'll be back next week to uh, muck up the dust of history. and Keep up your suggestions. Yes, yes. So we should actually speak about... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 